Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, November 5th, Election Day. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, voters are at the polls this hour in the process of selecting the next governor of Mississippi. We'll hear from both candidates from the campaign trail yesterday. And after a Mississippi StoryCorps, a conversation about polarity in Mississippi politics and how it often boils down to the state's racist past. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are at the polls today, selecting a new governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and more. Every statewide seat, several state commissions, and every seat in the legislature is on the ballot today. At a campaign stop on the Gulf Coast yesterday, Vice President Mike Pence rallied hard for the Republican candidate for governor. I'm here for one reason and one reason only, and that is that Mississippi and America need Tate. Reeves to be the next governor of the great state of Mississippi. During his remarks, the lieutenant governor compared himself to the former Indiana governor. Mr. Vice President, you have cut taxes in Washington, and I have cut taxes in Mississippi. Mr. Vice President, you have cut regulations in Washington, and I have cut regulations in Mississippi. And lo and behold, our economy is booming. You know... That doesn't just happen. It's not happenstance that we have the best economic numbers in the history of Mississippi. It's not just happenstance that we're in the best financial shape at any time in our state's history. It's not just happenstance that we're in the best fiscal shape at any time in our state's history. It's not just happenstance that more people are working today in Mississippi than any time in our state's history. No, ma'am. No, sir. It's not just happenstance. It's because conservative policies work. Conservative policies work for our country, and they work for our state, and they work 
for the hard-working families all across Mississippi that are benefiting from the largest tax cut in Mississippi history. They work for the job creators that are benefiting from the largest tax cut in Mississippi history, and they work for all of our citizens. Reeves also talked about the importance of the Gulf Coast in his potential administration. I had someone ask me the other day how we built such a strong organization on the Gulf Coast. And I said there's really only one way to do it, and that is to spend every single day in office working hard for the people of the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It's about understanding that what's good for the Gulf Coast economy is good for Mississippi's economy. It's about having a leader that understands how important that what goes on in the Gulf of Mexico, our fishing industry, our seafood industry, understanding that how important that is not only to you, but how important it is to all of us in Mississippi. Now, I have worked hard for the coast on Katrina, on BP, and I will always work hard for the coast. Experts have said modern elections are less about convincing undecided voters and more about turning out the base. Reeves seems to agree. But I got to tell you, tomorrow is going to be about turnout. It's about how many people can we get that are like-minded conservatives like you and me. How many can we get to the polls? I had a wise man tell me not long ago from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, no less. He said, Tate, don't ever forget. On election night, they're not going to count how much money you got. On election night, they're not going to count how many friends you got. On election night, on tomorrow, they're going to count how many votes we get. I need you to leave here today motivated, understanding that big turnouts favor conservatives, big turnouts favor Republicans. And because of the people in this room, I know you're going to not only go and vote tomorrow, but you're going to go home tonight and you're going to knock on the door of your next-door neighbor. You're going to pick up your phone and you're going to call your buddy down the street. You may even know that there's a little lady three or four houses down that would love to vote if she could just get to the polls. My ask of you is to get her to the polls. Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves is the Republican candidate for governor. On the Democratic side of the ballot is Attorney General Jim Hood. MPB's Alexandra Watts caught up with him at a campaign stop in Greenwood yesterday. Well, I feel comfortable. You know, we've done all we can do. Um, the, the response from the people, uh, both Democrat and Republican, has been very positive. Um, and, you know, if you get that kind of coalition together, you can govern with that. So I'm, I'm optimistic not only can we get elected, but then we can do something. We can keep our children here because Mississippi's lost more kids the past six years of any state in this country. And they're our best and brightest, and so it's, it's our, our challenge to do some things that will keep them here. One of them is, is doing a road bill. You know, that's 8,000 working people swinging hammers. You can move the, build the economy. Uh, the other is expanding health care. That's a billion dollars a year that we've been turning down simply because whose idea it was. And uh, that would generate $100 million additional dollars a year in, in additional revenue to create 10,000 jobs, cover 300,000 working people. And then on the education front, we can do 4K education statewide. I gave them the money the other day. It was about $36 million, uh, that I, I, I handed over to the legislature. And I want to see us to pay our teachers to the southeastern average and fill, fully fund our schools and do like we're doing in my five counties. If you can't get a grant or scholarship otherwise and you want to go to the community college, then you can go tuition-free. Those are the three issues that I'm confident that we'll be able, we'll be able to move forward, and I'll continue 
to try to hold the legislature accountable so that their their records are open like every other state agency or county government or city government. And how would those plans apply to the 18 counties of the Delta? It would really help on, on roads, which farmers and everybody is concerned about roads. Health care, we're concerned in rural areas like where I'm from. Our emergency room closed in Houston, Mississippi. It had been open my whole life. Uh, you know, that is a, a, a threat uh, to people. Uh, in rural areas, and, and Republicans and Democrats alike, that cuts across party lines. Education, 4K education, is the best money a state can spend for economic development, surprisingly. Spending money on early childhood education, it creates uh, kids with much, uh, uh, their, their vocabulary is exponentially increased by someone just reading to them. Uh, that, that 4K is just vital to our economic development in the future. That creates people capable of doing technology jobs and those kind of things. And um, So there's a, uh, uh, the teacher pay, I mean, we, certainly we've got a 1,000 teacher shortage. We've got to do some tuition forgiveness for those teachers who stay and teach five, five years. A lot of those uh, uh, are, are here in the Delta uh, where teachers have, have uh, we don't have enough. And so we've got to pay them to the southeastern average. We've got to fully fund our schools. That really helps in the area of um, uh, trade skills particularly. We don't have enough money to buy welding rods in a lot of schools, teach somebody how to weld or bricklaying or those good-paying jobs. Uh, and lastly, on education, we need to make sure that uh, we can send our kids to the community college. Uh, if they can't get a grant or scholarship otherwise, then it, they can go tuition-free. It only costs $6 million. Tennessee copied my five counties in northeast Mississippi, and they're doing it statewide. So that's something that, that we can easily do. If the race is really close and it has to be called by the House, how do you think that's going to go? I think we'll get over 50%. Um, the question is, can we get to 54 um, So we'll, we'll, we will have to um, uh, find out that tomorrow night. Um, and I think that if, if we get below 54 but we get over 50, I think the federal judge will throw that provision out. It will set up a fact scenario where, it, you know, that constitutional Jim Crow law uh, will be stricken. Polls are open until 7 p.m. Anyone in line before 7 is entitled to cast a ballot. We'll have special coverage of the statewide elections tonight on Election Night Live. You can hear live returns from the Associated Press starting at 7 and in-depth analysis starting at 9 tonight on Think Radio. Coming up, a conversation about polarity in Mississippi politics and how it often boils down to the state's racist past. That's after a Mississippi StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today, Mississippi voters go to the polls to choose a new governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and more. Join us on MPB Think Radio tonight for live returns starting at 7 and our in-depth election show starting at 9. We'll have returns from the Associated Press, hear from candidates, and talk to our political analysts, Austin Barber and Brandon Jones. So join us for Election Night Live tonight on MPB Think Radio. Wendy Schenefeld is multiracial. Her parents, who adopted her as an infant, are white. In this visit on the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi, Wendy and her mother, Dari Schenefeld, talk about why her parents chose to create a transracial family. How did you and Daddy decide to come to the decision to adopt transracially? Well, first of all, your father had accepted a job as an assistant professor of research in pediatrics at the Cincinnati Children's Home, I mean, excuse me, the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And we moved into a racially mixed neighborhood by choice. And 
we wanted to adopt a little a sister for our two little boys. So we applied to the children's home in Cincinnati, and we asked to adopt a black or biracial girl because we knew at that time many of these babies were having trouble finding homes. Mm-hmm. And also, we hadn't actively participated in, in what was going on in the South because we were mm-hmm. living in the North and right. busy with our personal lives. And we thought, well, this is a way of supporting racial integration. Mm-hmm. I can remember talking to Daddy about that as well, is that it was a way to, not to say a social experiment, but that that the way to true integration and, and equality in this country can come from, hopefully, from living together in one house as brother and sister. And so growing up in that house with people that don't necessarily look alike, but we loved each other um, all the same, and we just grew up as family, and we just never knew any difference. So did you talk to any of your family before you got started with this uh, crazy <laughs> transracial adoption thing? I mean, were uh, well, they we supportive? Had to because the adoption agency required us to do that. Mm-hmm. And when we wrote to your, your daddy's parents... Uh, we knew there would be no problem, and your grandfather, Roy, said in these words, you need to have no qualms about being rejected by us, whichever way you go. Mm-hmm. And your grandmother, Florence, wrote back, Ray, whatever child you and Dari choose will be loved by us. And we really appreciated that. Now, my parents <laughs> were... Well, my mother was kind of shy and quiet, mm-hmm. and I thought she probably really did approve, but she was a little concerned that we might have problems. My father thought it wasn't a good idea, but at least he didn't try to interfere in any way. And then we had a lot of support from our neighbors because we lived in a mixed neighborhood. Right. And we also attended the Unitarian Church, and the, the church members were very supportive mm-hmm. of our decision. Mm-hmm. And despite your father's concerns, when we arrived, he never treated us any differently. He was always the stern grandfather that, that he was, <laughs> but it didn't have anything to do with what we looked like. It was that we were noisy kids <laughs> who descended upon his house and, and turned his house upside down when we came to visit, but he never treated us any differently, and I always appreciated that. So, so what about the 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 state agency, the children's home where you applied? Were they supportive of adopting transracially, or did they try to say no? This probably isn't the best idea. Well, they hadn't ever done it before, <laughs> and so they had a, a big staff meetings and they talked it over and some of them weren't sure about it, but finally they decided they'd go ahead and honor our request. Mm-hmm. So then we adopted your your sister, Heidi, in May of 1970. And two years later, we adopted you in April of 1972. You were six months old. And our neighbor, who was, happened to be African-American, called you the girl with the million-dollar smile. And the woman who had been your foster mother before you were place, placed with us called you Princess 
because there was a Cherokee chief in your family. Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, growing up and having that label of being triracial, I think that was always fun to, to imagine that one of my ancestors had been a Cherokee chief. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As Mississippians head to the polls today, they'll be casting their ballots in one of the most competitive governor's races since 2003. Jackson State University professor DeAndre Ori talked with MPB's Desiree Frazier about the campaign, politics in Mississippi, and the connection with the state's racist past. Well, you know, Mississippi is about dichotomies. You have conservative, liberal, you have Democrat, you have Republican. You have blacks, you have whites, you have opposition to the flag, you have favorability toward the flag. It's an us versus them system here in Mississippi, so inevitably you're going to have conflict in power, or politics is rooted in conflict. So any race in Mississippi is going to be contentious, um, and what makes it even more contentious is that the Republicans have been extremely good at deploying the Southern strategy. And the Southern strategy was incorporated by uh, Barry Goldwater first when he said that, you know, he was going to go looking or hunting where the ducks were in terms of getting votes for his uh, presidential race. He did that because he was in opposition to civil rights, and he knew that if he came to the South, he could actually get support even though he was Republican and the South were one-party states. And so you start seeing, you know, code language used because you couldn't use the N-word anymore or overt racism after the passing of the Civil Rights Act. So I started using words like law and order, welfare, uh, so on and so forth. And those terms used to be widely associated with African Americans. And so you see it really evolved during the Reagan administration when you had Reagan Democrats who eventually, you know, became um, Reagan Republicans. And so now we have, you know, the race a battle between the two states, or the two parties, rather. And so you see the Democratic being overwhelmingly almost 100% in the state legislature um, black, and the Republicans being 100% white. So are there any dominant words that you've heard throughout the campaign that um, provide a signal to voters? Medicaid expansion, first of all, Expansion and conservative do not go together. So when you expand something, you make it bigger. Um, Conservatives want less government. Um, And also, Medicaid was one of those buzzwords that were used, you know, way back during the Southern strategy when Ronald Reagan, for example, talked about uh, the welfare queen and this woman who had 20, 30 different addresses, uh, and they associated her with an African-American. And Medicaid, because it's one of these programs, um, designed, you know, wholeheartedly for poor people. Um, and there's a high correlation between poor and black in Mississippi. Um, that becomes problematic for the Democrats because people, you know, make an association with 
Medicaid and um, African Americans, depending on entitlements. And so that 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 that, that history is long lasting. Mean, it goes back to the '60s and '70s and '80s, and um, it has had you know long lasting power. Education. That's been a hot topic. Uh, teacher pay raises. Both parties talking about it, but from a slightly different perspective. It'll be interesting to see how the voters um, vote here because if they vote on the record, meaning that they employ retrospective voting, um, then you know they'll see that uh, Tate Reeves was not as supportive as he you know currently suggests that he is and how he will be, but. Other candidates, even, you know, from his own party in the primary, have been, you know, vigorous in their efforts to um, push education and, and pay raises and whatnot. So this will just be dependent on how the voters evaluate reads on the issue of education. What about voter turnout? Um, do you anticipate a, a broad voter turnout? If we go back to the U.S. Senate race um, last year, I, I believe that was... Um, uh, a, a historical turnout. And so I really do think that, you know, with this race being as competitive as it is and really being the Democrats, so I'm looking at it as the Democratic uh, or the Democrats' last opportunity to win, you know, a statewide election, um, and particularly the governor's race, that turnout will, in fact, um, be fairly, fairly high because of the competition. Can a Democrat win statewide office? I mean, you have this provision in election law that went before a federal judge uh, recently. He declined to uh, make a ruling on it right now. But it means that currently anyone who wins has to win 50 plus one plus carry more than carry more than half of the 122 house districts let's make no doubts about this because um the legislators at that time didn't make any doubt about this um this is a racist policy um and james bartman the legislator at the time in 1890 uh drafting of the constitution and you know former governor he said that it was racist he said that you know we created these mechanisms to prevent black folk, and he didn't use black folk, he used the N-word, from gaining access to the ballot. Uh, he said that. I mean, James Barnum said that, and he was specific about that. So um, this was put in place just like the literacy test was put in place. The poll tax was put in place. Um, you know, 24th Amendment got rid of those mechanisms such as the poll tax, but it didn't get rid of this particular um, mechanism which is clearly for the purpose of diluting the black vote. And so because blacks overwhelmingly vote Democrat um, and they would be supporting Hood, um, I think it would be uh, somewhat difficult for Hood to be able to jump all of those hoops uh, or hurdles, rather. This is the candidate of choice for the African-Americans. So this is a diluted mechanism that currently is working the way that it was designed to work. Well, Professor Ori with Jackson State University, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this important issue. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Before we leave you, more than 1.9 million Mississippians are registered to vote in today's statewide election. MPB's Kobe Vance reports on what voters need to know as they head to the polls. In the weeks and days leading up to today's election, county officials have been preparing ballots and checking voting machines to make sure the process goes smoothly for everyone. 
Zach Wallace is the circuit clerk for Hines County. He's hoping for a large voter turnout. For the voters out there, take a friend with you to go vote. Uh, if you have any questions, contact the circuit clerk's office or the election commissioner's office. We also have the Secretary of State's website, whereas you key in your address, it'll show who I will be on your ballot. So the polls will be open from 7 to 7, and you have all day to go and tell a friend to go vote. Checking to make sure you have the correct polling location is also important. If you believe you have the right location, but your name is not on the voter's roll, state law allows you to vote by filling out a provisional ballot. Danny Klein, chairman of the DeSoto County Election Commission, explains. We will not deny anyone the right to vote. So if they come in and they're not on the voter's roll, then we allow them to vote a provisional ballot. If they're not at the right uh, precinct, we'll direct them to the correct precinct. Because you've got all these House seats and these Senate seats, we want to make sure that they're getting the correct ballot style based on their affidavit of where they live. Anyone standing in line when the polls close at 7 will be allowed to vote. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.